You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We'll be looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ this afternoon, which we've had several questions about this in the past. And sorry to tell you, you may still have some questions when I'm done with this about this passage. Um, but in light of the fact that I almost always have Matt read all of these difficult names, I should ask him to read the passage of scripture for you this afternoon, but no, I won't, I won't put him on the spot. Uh, Luke, as we know, has been slowly and steadily building towards the ministry of Jesus. His desire to provide an orderly account has led him to emphasize the empowering of the Holy Spirit at the start of his ministry, right, at his baptism. This was it. He's really slowed down and zeroed in on this point, emphasizing the beginning of his ministry and even placing the genealogy here, right? That's different. Matthew begins with the genealogy and here he places it right at the start of his ministry after he's already 30 years of age. And so we'll pay attention to that and come back to it at the end. But Luke does want to ensure that his readers realize the origin and the purpose of Christ's ministry. So that's what we'll be looking to understand as we consider this passage. But let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can sit under the preaching of your word. We ask that you would give us the ability to understand this text. And as we read all of these names, and it's easy as we read these just in our own to gloss over these sections. But Father, I pray that it would be meaningful that as we consider the importance of this particular genealogy, uh, that, that we would have a greater confidence in your plan of redemption and what you've accomplished in your son. It's in his name that we ask it. Amen. So read with me Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Cossum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Minna, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashan, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sirig, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, 
the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxid, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the, the passage begins with the acknowledgement of Jesus' age. And it's not precise. It says about the age of 30. So there is some debate about how old precisely he was, but we, we assume from this starting point that he was 30. Um, and it is uh, a, a significant age. Um, in the life of a priest, that was when they were now allowed to begin serving in the tabernacle, in the temple. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 4. It also is the time when Joseph uh, was released from prison and became the second in charge under Pharaoh in Egypt. In Genesis 41, verse 46, it's also the time that David became king. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. Now, it's not really emphasized here as having all that much significance, but it may have been a period or a time in a person's life where it was something of a milestone. Um, and so it's acknowledged here that he was about 30 years of age, and it does, as was supposed, this, uh, that he was the son of Joseph. So acknowledging right from the start that this is, once again, a son who was miraculously conceived, right? the son of a virgin. And so, although he was the legal son of Joseph, this was not his biological father. Um, and so, we're going to, first of all, begin with a comparison with Matthew. And this is going to be probably a bit of the, the more technical portion. And we won't have much to say beyond that. We're not going to get all into the, the various names or their stories. Frankly, we don't have a whole lot about these names and characters other than the ones that are, that are quite obvious. But, um, but there is a challenge here because when we look at the genealogy of Matthew, it doesn't match with the genealogy here. And there are similarities. Both of them begin with Joseph. They acknowledge that these are, this is the genealogy of Joseph. Both include the names of Shealtiel and Zerubbabel. And they both are identical from David, between David and Abraham. But that's about where the similarities end, because the, they are different in their order. Luke reverses the order that Matthew provides. Um, and from Matthew, uh, Matthew begins the account, or ends it, however you want to look at that, he he begins with Abraham and works his way to Jesus, whereas Luke goes all the way back to Adam, right? He doesn't stop at Abraham. And the emphasis there most likely is that Matthew seems to have targeted much of his uh, gospel to the Jewish community, right? He assumes things as he's writing about them. And so the, the, he wants to emphasize the fact that this is in the line of Abraham, right? Um, for, for Luke... The context is broader, right? He's reaching those who are Gentiles. Theophilus, right, is, is his in, 
the person he's writing to and, and those who are like Theophilus, but he's going, he goes all the way back to Adam to show this is, this is a savior for all mankind. Matthew also skips more generations, so it's a shorter genealogy. Right? He, has a, he has it in three different sections, and, and it's, there's, a, there's several genealogies or gaps, uh, several names that are missing. Um, it is almost entirely different between Joseph and David, which happens to be the majority of the list. And, in fact, the names of Joseph's father are different. So, uh, you have Jacob in Matthew, and here you have the name Heli. So, how do we deal with these differences? How do we, is this just one example of the inconsistencies you'll find in Scripture, some of the contradictions, and this being one of them? Well, first of all, one option that was proposed fairly early on was that there were, everyone has two names. A lot of times the biblical individuals have two names. And so maybe all of these names that differ, Matthew's giving one name that was familiar and Luke's giving the other. That's not quite plausible for too many people. It is an option. And most of these individuals probably did have two names, but to say that they consistently chose the opposite name throughout this is, is a little bit hard to swallow. Secondly, there are those who would say Joseph, um, Joseph's mother had two different husbands. And so one line was, was following one husband, Heli, the other one was following the husband, Jacob. That, that's certainly a possibility. It's not as probable either. Um, one that, that we've talked about in our Q&A in the past is that Luke is actually giving the genealogy of Mary. Um, and, and this is one of the more probable ones, one of the more likely. However, it does have some significant challenges. And, um, and so let me give you the, the other option before we go into the details there. There is an option that Matthew gives the royal line, specifically the line to the throne, and Luke gives a more genetic line, right? Being more specific from and not skipping, whereas Matthew is really just emphasizing those who fall specifically in, in having direct access to the throne. Um, and and for, for many, that is also the more likely one or probable one. In fact, if you're looking at a Reformation study Bible in your notes, they, pretty, they go with that one, that Matthew is giving the royal line and Luke is giving the genetic line. However, the, the general editor for your Reformation study Bible is R.C. Sproul, and when you read his commentary, he emphasizes the possibility that it's a genealogy of Mary. And so you kind of, I think, for many of these scholars... It's one of these two, right? One of these two are the most likely, and you really can't be certain. Um, first of all, the problem if this is giving Mary's genealogy is it would be quite unique. Very few Jews followed the, traced the line of the mother. Um, there had to be like really special circumstances, and of course, 
those who take that view would say, well, this was quite a special circumstance, right? given that Joseph was not the biological father. But it does say Joseph here. It doesn't say Mary. So now we have to have this problem, we have to deal with the problem of who's, why, why, are, they, why are they following, um, why are they starting with Joseph? And, and so some would say, well, Joseph uh, was adopted, right, by, by Mary's father. Um, but now you're not, you know, you're not really standing on strong ground to say that. The other problem with that view is it really didn't appear until about the 18th, you know, 19th century. Um, however, Lightfoot would argue against that. He would say that there are rabbinical writings that, and there he quotes one in particular, that refers to Mary as the daughter of Heli. And so uh, apparently his assumption is that at least the view was there. It existed uh, quite early on in the early church. Uh, no, no date is specifically given to that quote, but it, it well before the eight, you know, thousand, at least a thousand years before, it became one of the more prominent views. Um, but again, as I said, Jews did not typically trace their mother's genealogies, and in fact, we know it's emphasized frequently that Jesus is an heir, uh, that he's he's Joseph's heir. Legally, right? He's, he, has, um, he has access to, to, to Joseph's property, to his name. To if, so if he has access to the throne, then through his father, his legal father, that would be the case. And you see that in chapter 1, um, verse 27. Um, this emphasis upon Joseph being of the house of David. Right? Chapter 1, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Okay, so, so right on from the start, they're, they're saying this is a man who, had, uh, who comes from the Davidic line. And then lastly, it is not that improbable to trace from the same source two different lines in a genealogy, to essentially come up with two different genealogies like this. For those who are very, very committed to genealogies, to tracing their, fam- their ancestry, um, because of intermarriage within family lines, uh, because of remarriages, deaths, I mean, there, there's just, there's all of these complications that enter into a family tree. And so while we don't really know much beyond our great-grandparents, um, in, other his, in other cultures, they, they can trace back to several different people, right, from several different routes. And so it, it's really not that strange to see two different family trees here for Joseph, um, as hard as that might sound. It might seem like a contradiction, but it, it does not have to be. Um, and again, as I said, we just simply can't be certain about what it is that explains the differences. Um, but I think the easier answer is to, is to not try to 
and try to force this into the genealogy of Mary when it doesn't acknowledge Mary at all here. Um, so that seems the most likely to me seems to be that this is another genealogy for Joseph. But two things to emphasize from here. Because we don't know very much about these, uh, a lot of these names. Right? We, we see the names in the Old Testament, many of them, uh, but we don't know much about the individuals here. In verse 27, you see the name Zerubbabel. We know he was the governor of Jerusalem. And if you go to Ezra, uh, Ezra 3, you can find um, his work as governor. They're bringing back those who were in exile, who returned to Jerusalem. Uh, you have the name Nathan, which in verse 31, which is a distinction from Matthew, because Matthew, if he's following the royal line there, would, wants to point to Solomon. But here, um, Luke points to Nathan, the third son of David. And again, the key there is both of them had a Davidic connection. And so there's a consistency there. In verse 32, you have the name Jesse being the father of David and, and all of his brothers there. Uh, you can look at 1 Samuel 16 and, and read about Jesse. Also, you have the prophecy of the Messiah coming from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11. So having some significance there for Jesse being listed here. Uh, you have the Abrahamic line emphasized in verse 34, right? the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And then you have several names beyond that that you can find um, also in the genealogies found in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and 2, as well as the, chron um, the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis 11. And so we could certainly look at all of those passages and, and study them more, but, um, but all I want to emphasize here in just a, a few minutes is that there is some value, right, to family history, to knowing something about your family history. And for some, they value that more than others. Certain cultures value that tremendously. The Western world is, is mostly indifferent to the names that we find in our heritage. But tracing the family line, if you've ever tried to do that yourself, oftentimes reveals names that you wish weren't there, right? You find out that you're related to people that you wish you weren't related to. Um, but we don't get to decide that, do we? We're born into a family. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus being the second person of the Trinity had some control over that, right? Had some sovereignty over his family tree, and these are the names that we find in it. Many sinners, right? many people who are fallen. The church is made up of all kinds of people with all kinds of family histories that we can trace back in every direction. But all of them return to Adam. All of them point to our fallen nature, our sinfulness, our need for a savior, one who is not just the son of Adam, but also the son of God. And what's unique about this genealogy, it's the only genealogy in all of scripture, even in the rabbinical writings, which include God in the genealogy, which concludes here, the Son of God. Now, if you just are reading it as a genealogy, it's, it's talking about Adam being the Son of God, right? And, and in that sense, all of us are children of God, right? We're made in his image. But to include it so uniquely, 
So distinctly here, I think Luke is emphasizing something. He wants us to conclude here, recognizing that this Savior has come in the line of man, come in humanity, and he has brought God to us. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22, or verse 22 and 45, we read this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Right, so Adam brought sin into the world, but Christ, not only sin, but sin and death, Christ brings life. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam is a life-giving being. He gives life. He brings life. He offers eternal life for all who repent and believe. And we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So with all of the sin and misery and fallenness that we've received from Adam, we get life and grace and righteousness in Christ. Right? All that Adam lost, Christ has won. And so Christ alone can bring true reconciliation. Right? It's through Christ that we can be reconciled to God. But even more than that, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, he brings us reconciliation with one another. We read, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the fathers. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So not only have we been brought near by the blood of Christ, united to Christ, but Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens to the people of God. We are one in him. We are all the household of God. Right? And so in conclusion, we can compared this genealogy with, with Matthew, and we wonder why would Luke 
place Jesus' genealogy here, right, in the third chapter. Matthew begins with it. Luke's purpose seems to be to connect Jesus' messianic calling with the beginning of his ministry, right? He was the son of Adam. He became man. He took on flesh in his birth, right? God was born into the lineage of fallen mankind in order to redeem us. And so the second Adam represents all mankind without distinction. And only Jesus could bring reconciliation between God and man, but also between man and man, reconciliation with one another. And so Jesus became the second Adam in order to satisfy the requirements that the first Adam failed to keep and that all of us would fail to keep. And so we must trust in him and his finished work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.